The Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas. Sermon 6. The Union of the Divine and Human Natures in Our Lord. Sermon for Christmas Eve, December 24, 1620. Today we are celebrating the Feast of the Expectation of the Glorious Virgin, that is, the coming and birth of our dear Savior and Master. I intend to give you a little catechism on the subject of the Incarnation, not a sermon or an exhortation. According to St. Thomas, everyone ought to know something of the content of the mysteries of the faith. They certainly need not know them as apologetical theologians do, but they ought to know them in a way which is appropriate for the simple faith of Christians. Many try to preach about them and make them understood, but there are too few who have the proper understanding of them. This is why there are many errors held about them. How can we meditate on what we do not really understand? I will not speak learnedly of the mystery of the Incarnation, but quite simply, so as to be more easily understood. I will divide my talk into three points. We shall consider first who brought about the Incarnation. Secondly, we shall consider what the Incarnation actually is. And finally, we shall see why the Incarnation occurred. First, we know that the Father gave us His Son. For we read that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Nevertheless, it is not only the Father who brought about the Incarnation, but the Son and the Holy Spirit as well. And although the Incarnation only the second person became incarnate, all the ancient doctors, but especially St. Bonaventure, used comparisons to help us understand all this. Take, for instance, the example of a prince who is being clothed in his royal purple. There are two lords vesting him and the prince who is being vested. Though the other two have the task of dressing him, he also cooperates by moving his arms and hands. Yet of these three persons, only the prince is being clothed. This example helps to make clear that the Incarnation though the work of all three persons of the Blessed Trinity, results in the Son alone being clothed with our nature. Whenever God acts outside Himself, it is the action of all three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, acting as one principle of operation. Although they are three persons, yet they are one single God, having only one same wisdom, power, and goodness. Though we may attribute power to the Father, and wisdom to the Son, and goodness to the Holy Spirit, yet all three are omnipotent, all-wise, omniscient, and all-good. Thus there is only one God in three persons, and this God is all-powerful, all-wise, and all-good. Yet we name the Father Lord and Creator of heaven and of earth. But that does not mean that the Son and the Holy Spirit do not share in the creative act as well, since all three have one same power by which they created all things. Therefore, it is neither the Father alone, nor the Holy Spirit alone, who wrought the Incarnation, but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, while the Son alone becomes incarnate. So when you are asked who brought about this great mystery, 
you must answer that it was the work of the Most Holy Trinity, but that only the second person has taken our humanity. The second point for consideration is, what is the Incarnation? It is what we call the hypostatic union, the union of the human nature with the divine, a union so close that, although there are two natures in this little newborn infant, yet they constitute but one person. There are three substances in him, the body, the divine nature, and the soul. This will be made clearer by analogies. Manna is a figure of the incarnation of the word. It also prefigured the Eucharist, as our ancient fathers have said. However, between the mystery of the Eucharist and that of the Incarnation, there is only one difference. In the Incarnation, we see the incarnate God in his own person, and in the Eucharist, we see him under a more hidden and obscure form. In both instances, it is the same God-man who was born of the Virgin. Thus, the manna which prefigured the Eucharist can also symbolize the Incarnation. Manna was a kind of food with which the Lord at night and looked like little sugar-coated pills. Some of the doctors have said it was made in the air by angels. Whether this is so, or as others hold, God himself made it without the aid of any creature, both opinions can be used to illuminate the mystery of the Incarnation. For God used the angel Gabriel to announce this mystery to Our Lady. On the other hand, no angels brought about this admirable work, but the Most Holy Trinity alone, without any creaturely concurrence. Manna had three distinct tastes, that of honey, that of oil, and that of bread. These three substances are found in the true manna, our Lord. Honey represents his divinity, oil his soul, and bread his body. Honey comes not from earth, but from heaven. It falls onto beautiful flowers, where it is wondrously preserved until bees come to gather it with unparalleled skill, nourishing themselves upon it. Now divinity is that honey which fell from heaven to the earth, into that beautiful flower, the humanity of our Savior, with which it was joined and united. Oil comes from neither heaven nor earth. It does not come from the earth like other plants. Still less does it fall from heaven as does honey. For olives grow on tall trees. Oil is a liquid which floats on top of all others. As such, it represents the second substance in our Lord, His most holy soul. The human soul does not come from the earth in that it is not made by our parents. Our lowly bodies are indeed formed from their substance, but the infused soul is not made by them. It being entirely spiritual, God alone is its creator. Our Savior's sacred body was formed from the most pure blood of the Virgin, but His most blessed soul was directly created by the Father and the Holy Spirit at the very moment when they formed His body. At the moment the glorious Virgin gave her consent, the Holy Spirit formed the Savior's body, and at the same time, His most holy soul came to animate it. Our Lord's soul, then, did not come from heaven or earth, for it did not exist before the Incarnation, but simultaneous with it. 
It was created at the moment of the virgin's fiat. The third taste of the manna was that of bread. Now bread clearly comes from the earth. Wheat, from which bread is made, grows from the earth. Bread, then, represents for us our Lord's third substance. For his most holy flesh was formed from the blood of Our Lady, and in this way comes from the earth. Manna had three tastes, but there was only one manna. Similarly, although in our Lord incarnate there are three substances, there is nevertheless only one person. For the substance of the soul and that of the body are constitutive of genuine humanity, and this human nature joined together with the divine nature constitutes not two, but one person, who is both God and man. What a wonderful work of God's providence, knowing that divinity was unknown to the human family, the divine majesty desired to become incarnate, uniting with human nature, so that under this human mantle, divinity could again be acknowledged. I know that from time immemorial divinity has been known, for all the ancient philosophers have avowed it. But this knowledge was so obscure that it was really unworthy of being called knowledge. Moreover, even when they knew God, they often did not acknowledge Him, which is far more important. Had our Lord not become incarnate, He would have remained always hidden in the bosom of His eternal Father and unknown to us. Certainly, in the Incarnation, he has made us see that which otherwise the human mind could hardly have imagined or understood. That is, that God was man, and man God, the immortal mortal, the one incapable of suffering, suffering, subject to heat, cold, hunger, and thirst, the infinite, finite, the eternal, temporal. In short, man divinized, and God humanized in such a way that God, without ceasing to be God, is man, and man, without ceasing to be man, is God. Thus we can say that the Magi, who kissed the feet of this little newborn infant, kissed the feet of God. But how can this be so? Since God as God has no body, how can the Magi be said to have kissed his feet? Yet it is so because of the personal union of the two natures. These two natures are so united that without being blasphemous, we can say, This blood is the blood of God, the blood of a lamb who died for the sins of humankind. God has been scourged and whipped. The hands of God have been stretched out and nailed to the cross. This does not mean that God as God suffered all this nor that he shed his blood or extended his arms on the cross, for God as God is unable to suffer. He has not endured these things as God, since the divinity did not suffer in the passion. The divinity did not stretch out his hands on the cross or shed his blood, for in God there is neither blood nor arms nor hands. But we can truthfully speak thus because of the strict union of the human nature with the divine. This has been taken from The Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas, translated by Nuns of the Visitation and edited by Father Louis S. Fiorelli, 
OSFS. Published in 1987 by Tan Books and Publishers Incorporated, Rockford, Illinois, and aired with permission of the publisher. This book tanbooks.com or by calling toll-free 1-800-437-5876.